You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 23. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This episode is awesome. It was so much fun to do. I invited one of my friends and colleagues, uh, Russ Weninger from Calgary, who practices immigration law in that fine city, to join me to talk about the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. He was uh, recently uh, quoted in a Calgary Herald article, uh, which was addressing the upcoming and, and I guess ongoing review that is happening with our temporary foreign worker program. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to get Russ to come on and we can talk about the ins and outs and the pros and cons of, of the temporary foreign worker program and and also just just have a good old chat. And so that's exactly what we did. Russ shares a lot of the same interests that I do the same passions, including the most beautiful national park in all of Canada, Waterton Glacier National Park, um, which is located in southwestern Alberta. And so we talked a little bit about that. And what I didn't realize was that Russ was actually born in southern Alberta in Pincher Creek. And some of you may wonder, where is Pincher Creek and why is that important? Well, Pincher Creek is a small little town in the very southwestern uh, corner of Alberta, but it is also the hometown of the Right Honorable Beverly McLaughlin, who serves as the Chief Justice of Canada. And she was actually born in Pincher Creek, so there's a claim to fame. Both Russ and uh, the Right Honorable Beverly McLaughlin, Chief Justice of Canada, both hail from the same small town, Pincher Creek, Alberta. So, aside from that, the first 10 minutes of this podcast are... Uh, well, let's just say it's, it's uh, a bunch of, uh, well, it's two good friends shooting the breeze and talking about their history and all these kinds of things. So if you're someone who just wants to get to the meat of the podcast, skip ahead the first 10 minutes or so and, um, of the interview, and that'll get you into the meat of our discussion. So, uh, I want to also express appreciation for all those who are listening to this podcast and, and for those who, who also recognize, I guess, what I'm trying to do here, and most importantly, all of the guests that I invite on, they really contribute significantly to what I'm trying to accomplish. And in past episodes, uh, I've discussed a little bit of my vision for this, but it is materializing better than I could have ever imagined. The individuals that I invite on, the guests um, to you know that I invite to to talk about various uh, Canadian immigration uh, policies and practices and laws and all those everything associated with the Canadian immigration, they have done an unbelievable job at providing value and something that you know people can actually benefit from. So my purpose was to create a podcast that gave free, helpful information to not only individuals looking to immigrate to Canada or 
or HR managers who are trying to navigate the complexities of the of this whole world of global mobility, but also for other practitioners, other consultants, other lawyers who just need a little bit more insight sometimes to help them elevate, you know, the bar, if you will, in terms of competence and our ability to practice. Immigration can be an absolute nightmare. It is so difficult to stay on top of things. And when policies and procedures change so quickly, it's impossible to rely on past experience as any indicator of what is going to happen in the future. And so with these constantly changing programs and, uh, and policies within Canadian immigration, heck, even the name for that, you know, for all intents and purposes, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, uh, IRC, which is the uh, nice little shortened version of it, um, even the name itself has, has transformed to a large extent, the culture of immigration, moving from more from from an economic focus to more of a family-based focus. But anyways, I don't want to, you know, spend the whole podcast with me uh, blithering on over what's happened with our Canadian immigration policy lately. I just wanted to express appreciation to every single guest that's come on this podcast. And um, I've done my very best to try and uh, basically use social media to share what they have shared with me to all of you. And sometimes it's effective, but the most effective means of doing it is for everyone else to share it as well. And like I said, no one's getting paid for this. This is purely uh, an effort to give back. And I hope that people feel it that way. At any rate, let's jump to my interview with uh, Russ Weniger. And um, yeah, let's jump to that right now. All right. Well, I am here with my good friend and colleague, Russ Weninger from Calgary. So Russ practices as well in the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada, the number one province. And I think Russ would agree with me. Totally. (laughs) How are you doing, Russ? Awesome. How about you, Mark? Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, in today's episode, I've actually asked Russ to join me um, to discuss some issues revolving a somewhat polarizing topic, and that is the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. And not just the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, but in particular, some of the aspects that affect um, the employment of low-wage or low-skill workers and, and the companies that, um, that bring them in under that program. Russ has particular expertise working with low skill and low wage temporary foreign workers, uh, similar to I. And uh, Russ was recently quoted in a Calgary Herald article entitled Easing of Temporary Foreign Workers Welcomed by Alberta Businesses. And that was just released just a few days ago on June the 24th. And so I thought, boy, you know what, I'm going to get Russ on and him and I, we're going to banter back and forth over this topic um, I just released a series of four blogs on what I thought should happen with this low low wage temporary foreign worker program, essentially blowing it up and just having everyone come in as uh, permanent residents. But hey, that's a different kind of uh, a more radical theory. Um, but when I read uh, yeah the article uh, that Russ was quoted in uh, with the Calgary Herald, I thought, hey, I'm going to get him to come on in and, and we can chat about that. But Russ, before we jump into that, I want to just tell you know, our listeners a little bit about you, introduce them to you. And uh, if that's all right with you. Absolutely, for sure. Great. And Russ has been so kind to give me a fantastic bio. This is awesome. 
Um, usually people give me these, uh, well, I shouldn't say use cause I don't want to slag any of the other, any other guests because they were all awesome. But typically lawyers give these sterile, very impersonal bios that don't really say much about who they are as a person other than maybe they like to run and jog and, and, uh, you know, read, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but, uh, Russ has indicated he lives in Calgary and he practices primarily in the areas of immigration law and he does a little bit of wills and estates as well. Uh, Russ graduated from Dalhousie University, the school of law out there, and uh, he he spends a lot of his time uh, assisting clients with uh, permanent resident applications, temporary residents, you know, interacting with the temporary foreign worker program. But he also does some work with um, citizenship and on occasion spousal appeals and refugee applications. And this is something that I really um, I really respect, Russ. Hmm. When I read your bio. Russ volunteers at several legal clinics, and I just think that is totally awesome. The Calgary Legal Guidance, um, Immigrant Services Calgary, the Center for Newcomers, and the Genesis Center. What is the Genesis Center, Russ? Well, the Genesis Center, it's up in northeast Calgary. It's a big community center. They've, they've actually got uh, YMCA up there. They've, they've got a, a bit of a, it's a branch of the Calgary public library. Uh, the Genesis center actually, uh, I don't think they're still operating that legal clinic. It was, it was an experiment to see if it would work up in the Northeast, but it kind of fizzled after about a year and a half sort gotcha. of thing. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but it was, it was a good idea at the time. You bet. And obviously you, you know, some of the other places here, you've indicated uh, the Kirby Center, and you've also participated as a volunteer lawyer in Law Day with, uh, with Pro Bono Law Alberta in, in both Calgary and Fort McMurray. So, yeah. so tell, tell us a little bit about Fort McMurray. So I, I flew up to Fort McMurray for a one day. Uh, for those who don't know, Law Day is a, a special thing that the Law Society and the courts do every year in Alberta. It's, it's typically in April. And it's it's a way of introducing the public to the law. And so you'll have things like mock trials, you'll have free legal advice clinics, you'll have uh, tours of cells, police will show off their police dogs, all, all sorts of different things. And so um, that's that's usually done in the major centers, Calgary and Edmonton. Mm -hmm. I know down you here know, in Lethbridge, we, we did that. And I remember when I first came down to Lethbridge, uh, with our mock trial, they usually had like a Disney theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be like Batman versus Spider-Man or something yeah. like that. Or, yeah. uh, and, and they're really fun, and it's a really good idea. And I've, I've participated in, they've had um, uh, legal clinics done through call centers where people could phone in from anywhere in the province. And in Fort McMurray, what they did is they actually flew some, they, they have some local lawyers in Fort McMurray, but not too many of them practice immigration. And so they flew uh, me and maybe another person up from Calgary, and yeah, just for for a day, we we spent the day meeting with people, and there are a number of foreign workers and permanent residents up in Fort McMurray. So it was a, a real eye-opening experience, actually. That's awesome, and uh, you know that just speaks to who you are, Russ. And you are the kind of lawyer that I want to get on this podcast because often those efforts that you put forward there, they just kind of float under the radar. And it's not that you do any of that for recognition. It's purely, you know, just trying to give back and wanting to help. And I think to a large extent, that's why a lot of us um, immigration lawyers practice. It's it's not to become rich. <laughs> if we wanted to, no, no. If we wanted to do <laughs> that, we would 
I don't know, do do class action lawsuits or or, yeah. or get on the uh, the mergers and acquisitions floors at some of the large national firms. You know, uh, it's it's to give back. And so, you know, some of the other events. You know, you've you've also enjoyed speaking uh, on immigration law and uh, and also state planning topics. Uh, that are organized by some of the other societies, the Calgary Catholic Immigrant uh, Immigration Society um, and Immigrant Services, but also the Calgary Public Library. And so mm-hmm. there's just a whole bunch of things. And um, you're obviously actively involved in our Canadian Bar Association, our local section in southern Alberta. And and uh, and that's, that's totally awesome. Uh, I know it's great to have you uh, carrying on that torch and making sure that, um, you know, that we're trying to elevate at least the immigration bar in Southern Alberta with, with, uh, the latest information and knowledge and getting good speakers and all those kinds of things. So, so that's really cool. And I see you're also a member of the Canadian association of refugee lawyers. So, uh, so very cool. So that's your professional life. That's your, everything that you've got going on on the professional side, but the part I love most is, uh, is the personal stuff. So let's get to know Russ a little bit as a person, as, as a person. So, when I was reading your bio, I see here that you love to travel to nearby mountain destinations such as Canmore, mm-hmm. Banff, Radium, and my home, my home park, Waterton. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, oh, be- beautiful. This time of yep. year, I spend as much time as I possibly can there. Yeah, when I was a kid, I grew up in Pincher Creek, which is just half an hour from Waterton or 40 minutes. And and I spent so much time in Waterton. And it's this beautiful sort of largely undiscovered uh, jewel in in the the southwestern corner of Alberta. The, the only kind of drawback to Waterton is the weather is very unpredictable there. It can be really windy. It Absolutely. can sometimes be cold, but but it, it's it's just amazingly beautiful. And I, I don't think enough people are aware of it. No, I think I'm going to have to put a picture of Waterton Lake uh, uh, in, in the show notes for this podcast just so people can see... <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yes, I'm biased. I know I am. But uh, yeah, and you're right about the weather. I was riding with my son. Uh, we have uh, some quarter horses and I was riding with some friends. And um, it, uh, yeah, it went from nice sunny to a little bit of windy to a little bit of rain to some hail, which wasn't yeah, really yeah. large hail. But in our, you know, 18 kilometer ride, we went through just about everything. And, um, but you know, but you just, just being out there just is, is awesome. It's, it's rejuvenating and refreshing. So in addition to, uh, Russ's desire to, to climb mountains, he also, uh, indicated that he was attempting in vain to learn Japanese. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's true. My, my significant other is Japanese. So, uh, well, she's actually a Canadian citizen, but, but originally from Japan. And we we go at least once a year to to visit with her parents, and so I'm I'm kind of desperately you know trying in vain to to learn the language, but but it's a work in progress to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I know I had the opportunity to learn Portuguese, but it was when oh, I was wow. a whole lot younger. I was yeah. 19, and your, your brain isn't quite wired at that stage, so you're still able to learn languages a little bit easier. But I, I actually lived in Portugal for two years, and oh, when wow. you're immersed, you have uh, a far greater shot at it than um, you know than when you're not. It's kind of like learning, right. you know, French immersion, which we have within our school systems, is a little bit more effective than taking your French classes in in the regular school system. So I admire you for your efforts in in trying to do that because that's no no small feat. 
Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> now you also indicate that you, you, you know, you play a little piano, you like the mm-hmm. arts, but uh, you yes. spend way too much time watching Netflix. And, you know, I can tell you at uh, periods uh, <laughs> over the yeah. last year, I did as well. And one of the favorite shows you listed was Suits. And you indicate yes. that you consider yourself the Harvey Specter of solicitor-based sole practitioner immigration law. And that is so fitting. That is awesome. Um, so it's, it, everything is the same except for the compensation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The compensation and the, the, the drama level and all that sort of stuff and the, the inter-office romances and yeah, other than that, it's all the same. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, in passing, I know in jest you put here that you're in Aries and you enjoy long walks on the beach. Well, I, I, I won't ask where, where that beach would be, but uh, clearly there's not too many long stretches of beach here in our landlocked Alberta. But yeah, it wouldn't be in water to lakes, so that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd be, the, it'd be the lakes. Well, that's awesome. Well, we, we probably spent, uh, you know, uh, more time than uh, it, it, typical on that. But you know what? Sometimes I just have fun making things a little bit different. So for those of you who are, uh, who are listening to the podcast and listen through all of this, that's great. Uh, I think what we'll do maybe is we'll put um, some little time stamps <laughs> in the, in the yeah. show notes. So <laughs> if people want to bypass the first 10 minutes of me and Russ uh, reminiscing and talking about all these other non-law related issues, uh, you can skip through that. But let's, let's dive right into this. And, um, uh, you know, one of the first questions I ask this uh, most, most everyone that comes on is how did you get into immigration? So th- that's an interesting story. It, it, it's actually an ex-girlfriend. And uh, so this was when I was doing my articling. For those of people who don't know, articling is it's kind of an apprenticeship year where a person, uh, they're just out of law school and they're, and they're becoming a lawyer, but they have to go through this this apprenticeship period. <laughs> And so I was doing that, and and I I met this woman, and uh, she was doing a skilled worker application, and so and I wasn't involved in it. I wasn't her legal counsel or anything. I just happened to be her her significant other at the time, and so it it got me thinking about immigration as a, as a possible practice area. And at the time, I was doing mostly family law. I was also, I was working for a sole practitioner, so I did a little bit of a bunch of different things, but but a lot of it was family law. And for anyone who's ever practiced family law, you, you know, it can be sometimes a hair pulling sort of experience where you, where you just, you know, constantly dealing with uh, <laughs> crazy opposing counsel, crazy clients, crazy opposing party. And, and, and you feel like you're going crazy too. And, and, uh, and then I thought, wow, you know, this is an area where I can, I can meet people and they're, they're doing something positive with their lives. They're making a positive, not that sometimes a divorce is a very positive thing too. Um, sometimes, you know, family law lawyers provide a tremendous service for sure. But um, uh, I I just enjoyed kind of the the emotional tone and the kind of the the optimistic tone of of immigration work, I think a little more than than family law. And so um, and I found it was it was kind of more kind of in keeping with my personality too is rather than being more at least the stuff I was doing um, or am doing currently uh, it's more uh, problem solving as opposed to adversarial 
Yes. And and so that that's one thing I, I really liked about immigration and, and continue to love about immigration. Very, very cool. And I think that theme is consistent with, with most all of us that practice in the area. So thanks. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump into our topic and, and dive right in. So we know recently the Liberal government, under the direction of uh, Marianne Mihaichuk, the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Labor, uh, has undertook a review of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. And originally the report that they were generating, the Parliamentary Committee uh, reviewing the program was generating, um, was supposed to be released in June, but as is always the case, it's now expected to be tabled until September because everybody wants their holidays through the summer. Right, right. Um, well, while this review has been going on um, very quietly, I'll say it was fairly quiet, the government announced um, just recently that they were putting a freeze on the cap imposed on low-skill temporary foreign workers. Um, effectively, July, July the 1st, the rule limiting businesses to employing no more than 10% of their, work, uh, their workforce as low-wage foreign workers was to be fully implemented. But uh, after this freeze, um, now existing businesses who had been using the program and were going to be facing this drop from 20% to 10%, well, they've frozen it so they can essentially maintain that 20% cap that's currently in existence. So this, to some extent, is the topic that I want to to focus on. And um, like I said before, Russ, I'm really grateful that you've been willing to take the time to offer some thoughts and some different perspectives and uh, Maybe you could just start off for our listeners and just give a little bit of an overview of, of how this temporary foreign worker program works for employers who are seeking to hire or, you know, engage low-wage foreign nationals. Sure. And by the way, I should start off saying that I'm by no means kind of an, an expert in, in this area. It's it's an area that I, I practice in to some degree. Mark, you would be more, far more knowledgeable in, in this particular area of law than I am, but... Uh, um, but Russell, I do, Russ, I'm going to cut in there. You are far, far too generous. The reality is, and I'll, uh, this is my podcast, so I can say whatever I want. Okay. okay. Uh, the, the reality is Russ is as accomplished and, and capable and knowledgeable about this area as anyone is. And uh, within the ranks of the, of, of the, the, the lawyers or the immigration lawyer ranks. And there's a reason for that. And that's because we as lawyers don't get a lot of this because often the companies that employ lower wage foreign workers don't want to pay legal fees <laughs> to, that, to hire true. people to do yes. to do these, you know, and, and yes, I do a lot of them. But uh, but mostly it's our uh, it's our, our immigration consultant counterparts that tend to do a lot more of this than we do. But the reality is the principles are, are the same. And I know uh, without Russ trying to be too humble, he's here <laughs> for a reason. So you, you fire away, Russ. OK, fair enough. Thanks, Mark. I, I like to look at uh, LMIAs as, as almost this this mythical, almost impossible quest. It's not quite that way, but um, it's almost like Lord of the Rings where the hero will go out and they'll encounter all these these adversaries and obstacles. And eventually, if their heart is pure and they've done everything right, then then they'll, they'll get this LMIA. Um, what a, a typical employer will have to do is... Uh, advertise a position for a number of weeks and uh, they have to use different sources. They have to use the job bank. They have to do different online and and print sources in many cases. And they they have to really demonstrate to the government that they haven't been able to find a Canadian or permanent resident who's willing or able to do the job. 
and they have to show things like that they're offering the going wage rate for that particular occupation in that particular region. And sometimes that's a difficult task in and of itself if you're dealing with a highly skilled worker like a, a CEO or a, you know an engineer or something like that. That 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 in itself might be a difficult task. If you're dealing with a low skilled worker, that might be a more straightforward exercise. But but you still have to show that that you don't have Canadians or permanent residents who are are willing or able to to do that work in in that area. So once you've done all satisfied all the advertising requirements, then it depends on whether you're a, a, a larger business or a smaller business. So if you're a smaller business, a mom and pop sort of, you know, convenience store, maybe a small little restaurant or something, and you have under under 10 people, uh, you you can if you show the need to hire foreign workers, you can typically get a number of, of uh, foreign workers through, through the LMIA process. If you are a larger business, so 10 or more, uh, then all of a sudden you're limited to this cap that the government's imposed. And, and th this cap applies to, to, to low-wage workers. Uh, so if you, for example, want to hire uh, people at your gas station and you have 20 employees, uh, you, if, if you've historically applied for LMIAs and received LMIAs, then uh, your, your cap will, well, originally if, a couple of years ago it was at 30% and then at some point it was reduced to 20% and now it's been halted at 20%. And who knows? It may or may not go down further. Maybe maybe the government's gonna gonna do away with the cap. For people who've never participated in the LMIA process before, they're limited to ten percent of of their workforce. That's a good uh, point. That's that's a good point. And so even though we've got this this new um, uh, reprieve, I guess, if you will, anyone who's new to the show has to abide by the ten percent after. You know, it flips over in July here. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, on the one hand, it's nice that the government has kept the, the cap for existing employers participating in the program at twenty percent. Uh, you know, for for people who are just starting out, or maybe they purchased a restaurant from someone else, or purchased a gas station from someone else, uh, they're stuck at ten percent. Huh. That's interesting. Well. Um, let's let's shift right into. Uh, I'd mentioned previously that uh, you were quoted in the recent Calgary Herald uh, piece mm -hmm. um, announcing this, you know, this uh, moratorium of sorts. And uh, in that article, you had indicated that this, you know, this move was a step in the right direction by the Liberal government, but that the caps are, you know, really arbitrary numbers that don't, you know, really affect actual labor needs, even as unemployment in Alberta has grown. So can you expand a little bit more on that, what you mean by the caps are arbitrary numbers and you know may not reflect actual labor needs? Yeah, so, so th this is a typical thing in immigration law where um, the, I mean, immigration is, is meant to be serving a bunch of competing interests, right? On, on the one hand, we want to bring workers into to the country. We want to, to you know, Keep keep the population of of Canada steady. Uh, Want to make sure that we have certain demographics in the country, um, but 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 we're we're always concerned that um, 
you know, there may be these unintended economic consequences depending on what we do. And so certain immigration rules are meant to uh, provide economic stimulus. And so um, uh, what the, the the thinking behind the cap and the thinking behind the temporary foreign worker program in general is that you want to encourage employers to first look to Canadians and permanent residents because it's not really doing a good thing if if sig significant numbers of Canadians and permanent residents are out of work and then you're bringing in all these foreign workers. So. Uh, the cap was brought in to, to kind of, to some degree, wean employers off of over-reliance on the temporary foreign worker program. And the thought was that wages were being suppressed because employers could too easily just apply for an LMIA. And so maybe the the wage, you know, if, if, if it were only left to Canadians and permanent residents, maybe the natural wage for a McDonald's worker might be $15 an hour. But with this over-reliance on, on foreign workers, the, 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 the wage was actually, you know, $10 an hour. You know, and, Russ, I'm just going to yeah, jump in there for a sure. second because that's a, this is one of the polarizing aspects to it. So yeah. I've, I've got four kids, right? I've got my oldest. She just went to university down in the States and I have a son who's, grade 11 and, you know, another son who's moving into grade eight and a daughter just, you know, just completed her last day of school today in, in grade five. And um, one of the things that I noticed, and I did a lot of work with, uh, you know, with the franchises and the, the fast food restaurants and things like that, the positions that they were advertising were full-time positions. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and in fairness to them and what they were doing, you know, they followed all the rules, mm -hmm. you know, and how many, uh, you know, how many students are you going to get that are going to be able to work full time year round? Well, well, none. Whether they're oh, high, high school, yeah. you know, whether they're high school students or whether they're, you know, university students, the positions are always, you know, part time, casual, those types of mm -hmm. jobs. And so, what business, you know, in in the, the 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 best of circumstances, wouldn't want to have one full time person that they could rely on, um, to be there every day to work, and uh, you know, always be there for their shift. Uh, versus eight, uh, <laughs> eight of our young people who may or yep. may not be completely committed to the job, may or may not show up the next day, and then the whole scheduling nightmare of trying to uh, to manage a whole fleet of casual employees. And so, they took full advantage of it. And um, oh, yeah. and what was yeah. the impact? And I saw it in you know with my my own kids and their and their friends that uh, and this is one thing that I can't slag Jason Kenny for. There's lots of things I can slag him, our old immigration minister. Um, mm -hmm. But this is one comment I can't slag him on, and that was that you know he said that you know the the opportunities for the first job in the labor market are often through these you know retail and fast food and those places for our young people, and they just weren't getting the jobs. And yeah. and it, it's that's a fact that I've seen both anecdotally and you know as I've viewed things from a external perspective, I guess. But that's one comment that I wanted to make, and and so yeah, you can continue on. Yeah. Oh, and you're totally right about that. And I, I've worked in before I was a lawyer, you know, at different times when I was a student, for example, I'd, I'd have, you know, part time low wage jobs. I worked at Tim Hortons for a while. And and yeah, oftentimes the 
the, you know, the, the Canadian employees would be people who'd, who'd be, you know, on and off of welfare or they were dealing with, you know, meth addictions or, you know, it's a very unpredictable workforce. And, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature for employers to want these predictable, hardworking people who will, you know, give them a good eight hours a day sort of thing. And um, so, so it's totally understandable. Um, but but anyway, so the the government they 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 wanted to wean people, wean employers off of the program over time, and so so they introduced these caps. But as in mer many areas of immigration law, it's not clear that there's any, you know, underlying sound economic theory beh behind the the cap. Um, so, you know, they just said, okay, well, we'll pick a number and it's 30%. And we, we think, you know, for anyone applying, applying for an LMIA, LMIA at this point in time, uh, you, you're limited to 30% of your workforce. And th that was back in 2014. And then last year, they reduced it to 20%, and this year down to 10%. And as far as I know, they just pulled these numbers out of a hat, you know, that I, I don't believe they can, maybe they did consult with economists, but it, but it's not really uh, clear that, um, that these numbers were, uh, you know, solutions that, that would reflect the economic realities in different parts of Canada. So you can have a place like Banff, for example, where try as they might, they'll find it very, very, very difficult to get anyone to go out and work in the hotels and, and restaurants out there uh, who's, who's a Canadian or permanent resident, because for one thing, it's, it's hard to find uh, housing out there. And, you know, people don't want to drive you know, an hour from Calgary so that they can do an eight hour shift at McDonald's, you know, it's so it's it's just not going to happen. So regardless of, of the wage that, you know, will be offered in a region like Banff, you're just not going to attract Canadians or permanent residents. And to sort of put everyone in the same boat and say, okay, this, regardless of where you are in the country and regardless of the industry and, you know, regardless of your circumstances, it's 30%, 20%, 10%, 10%, you know, it, it just, um, it, it wasn't sound policy as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. Um, Hmm, that that makes that makes total sense. Now, yeah, one of the things that you'd indicated, you know, that, you know, even though there may be, for example, in Alberta, we have a higher rate of unemployment than we have in quite some time, mm -hmm. that there are just industries like you indicated that um, it doesn't matter how much unemployment we have. Canadians are just not going to want to take those jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that that's correct. There is a... Um, uh, 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 a town, or maybe it's a small city. It's a, it's about an hour and a half outside of Calgary. It's called Brooks, and they have this huge meat processing plant there, and they've historically relied on, on foreign workers in this plant, and yeah, in Calgary you can have a bunch of laid-off oil and gas engineers, a bunch of laid-off accountants, and these people aren't going to drive an hour and a half. Uh, you know, leave, leave their homes with mortgages and stuff like that to to go and and work in a uh, a meat processing plant in Brooks. It's just not going to happen. And uh, you know, yes, you could you know continue to wage raise the wages of of 
uh, workers in Brooks until it was, you know, uh, there was an incentive for these people to go out to, to Brooks, but then you'd be paying like, you know, $50 for a hamburger or something. So um, uh, there, there's a point at which the government just has to be realistic and, and understand that certain industries uh, need special consideration. You bet. You know, and, and one of the things driving the review of this temporary foreign worker program is uh, the incidences of, of abuse and um, mm-hmm. employers that are not fully complying with their obligations. And this, this whole other yes. side of non-compliance, which mm-hmm. I think came to the attention of our of, of Minister Mihaychuk. And, and so this is also playing somewhat of a role. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Calgary Herald article, uh, it was mentioned that the minister herself has indicated that she favors more paths to permanent residency for low-skilled workers and that the government would consider such policies after the temporary foreign worker program review was completed. Mm-hmm. And I know in my blogs that was one of the uh, things that I had uh, advocated for was was basically, um, you know, if, if there's issues with non-compliance, then uh, what one option is to just, eliminate the low wage or low skill temporary foreign worker program and instead of having them come in as temporary more vulnerable workers because you're essentially tied to an employer and if they're not treating you very well most will not uh, say anything and just deal with it because it's the situation they have here is still better than they would have in their home countries but yes one of the one you know one of the the thoughts that i had was well if you have to go through the basically the temporary foreign worker program um, anyways, in other words, to, to qualify for some of our economic programs, such as express entry, the golden, mm-hmm. the golden ticket is a job offer supported by an LMIA. So why not just create a, you know, a, a temporary uh, low-skill worker program, uh, you know, build it into express entry, and the companies can then recruit them directly that way and maybe don't have as many, you know, um, front-end obligations like paying for airfare and things like that but then it'll even the playing field and and uh you know this is uh this podcast isn't isn't you know i don't really want to focus exclusively on you know some of the possible changes that could be implemented but you know if you've got an employer who is not treating their workers very well well guaranteed they're not going to be treating their canadian workers very well and if Mm -hmm. there is a uh you know if there's a shortage of work uh, workers to go around, um, you know, ultimately the, these these companies are not going to last very long because the good employers are going to be rewarded and, and these mm-hmm. low-skill workers are going to want to stay with them. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's almost like a, a free market correction. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I would totally agree with that. Um, I've, I've been in, in favor of um, a low skilled stream for per, for permanent residency for for some time now, uh, it would do away with with a lot of abuses that that you find in in industry. Um, when an employer realizes that an employee is essentially an indentured servant, that they can't leave their job and and go and work for someone else then they they tend to treat them a certain way um they'll you know maybe expect them to work long hours of overtime without any extra pay uh in some cases employers have been known to to be outright abusive to to employees um and uh so you know we 
as a whole, I, I think we, <laughs> you know, the, this this country, uh, you know, we like to think of ourselves as progressive and a place where the disadvantaged can come and, and get a fair shake and, and improve their lives and and. You know, the reality is that in some cases people are working under conditions that are, are tantamount to um, human trafficking or, or slavery. And you would really get a, a rid of a lot of those abuses by just having a path to permanent residence for temporary foreign workers who may not, uh, you know, be the highest skilled employees and may not have the most fluent English language um, ability, uh, but have demonstrated that they're willing and able to, to work in Canada and, um, and have made the sacrifice of actually moving from their home countries to this, to this country. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting as we talk about all of these, you know, it's really a polarizing topic. Like I indicated before, there's some people who fully recognize there needs to be a mechanism for bringing in people to, to, to fill roles that, just can't be filled by our local Canadian um, mm -hmm. workforce. And, uh, you know, and then there's others who are, are completely opposed to any foreign workers coming in and feel that there should be Canadians that, uh, that can, can do everything that our country needs. And if not, then we need to better invest in our education programs and to train up workers to fill these roles. And so it's quite mm -hmm. a polarizing topic. But as we, as we go on year after year here, we're getting closer to the stage in which all of these baby boomers are going to be you know, not only retiring, but, but dying off. And mm. the, the questions arise, you know, what does the future really hold? You know, all these projected shortfalls of, 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 uh, of workers in Canada and uh, in our work base that, that are going to be needed to, to, to carry forward. Um, offline, you and I had some interesting discussions about some, you know, some recent uh, materials and, and uh, different meetings and things that you had attended um, mm -hmm. related to this topic. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure, absolutely, Mark. Um, well, yeah, immigration in general is meant to serve a couple of purposes. What one is, uh, you know, putting aside humanitarian applications and refugee um, applications, which are simply meant to to alleviate suffering, but from kind of an economic or practical uh, point of view, uh, immigration is is meant to deal with kind of short-term economic needs as well as demographic needs for for you know the country over time. So um, recently, sometime in June, I think um, there was a study that was released that that showed that. Um, it's projected that somewhere around $750 billion in wealth transfer will take place within the next decade. Uh, and this is the largest wealth transfer in Canadian history. And it's because you have all these 70-year-olds, uh, 80-year-olds, and 90-year-olds who within the next decade will die and leave something to their children. And so... In light of that, for one thing, it's it's going to reflect a potentially a dim, diminishing population over time, uh, because we we have a, a graying population in Canada, as in in most industrialized countries, uh, the the population is actually getting older and older, and fewer people are actually having children, and so even though on a global scale we might still be increasing in in 
in population. In, in many countries, Canada, the US, Japan, China, China is a particularly hard case where they have the one child policy. Uh, the, the population will, will actually be shr shrinking over time. And so, so we, um, but, but when you have a shrinking population and a growing population, it's hard to predict what your economic needs are, are going to be in the future. It's hard to predict what your, uh, you know, you, you can think, well, we might need more doctors because people are going to get older. We might need more, more, um, you know, healthcare workers or, you know, people like that. We might need more financial planners to, but, but we don't really know. Um, I, I went to an interesting, uh, 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 talk or conference, uh, last week and it was, it was in Calgary. It was hosted by the chamber of the Calgary chamber of commerce and Peter Diamandis was the keynote speaker. Um, I'm not sure if you know who Peter Diamandis is, but uh, he's uh, Peter's. He's kind of a Renaissance man. He's he's uh, um, he's a medical doctor. He's an engineer. He has founded all these companies with a goal towards space exploration and mining asteroids, and and he he created this this X Prize, which is this really out there prize for for innovations in science and so he was talking about some of the, the the things that are on the horizon and within the next let's say 10 to 20 years we could have our laptops being smarter than we are and if that's the case you know may, maybe maybe my my laptop will be a better lawyer than i am maybe we won't need lawyers uh, maybe we'll have things like uh, Star Trek tricorders where, you know, you, you can, you, you wave this gadget in front of someone and, and it can diagnose their, their, their medical condition. And so maybe we won't even need family doctors. So, um, you, you know, it's, it's really just at this point, a crapshoot. What, what no one really knows, uh, what kind of jobs we'll need in the future, what kind of industries will, will be, uh, important in the future. And so immigration policy in terms of, you know, what our economic needs are going to be is, is, is simply a guess. And, um, there's, there's a quote that kind of gets used a lot. It's, it's Wayne Gretzky quote, and it's, it's, uh, um, skate to where the puck is going, uh, not, not to where it's been. Um, that makes and, a lot of sense. Actually, I really but, like that quote. Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm a Flames fan and I'm always stung by the Edmonton Oilers of the old days, the old, the uh, you know, the '80s. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that as a yeah, as, as, a, as a, yeah. a good a good quote. <laughs> it, it's an awesome quote, but but the the problem is that you know we we just immigration policy, at least the way I see it, tends to be focused on on where the puck is at the moment. And we, we simply don't have a clue about where, where the puck is actually going. And not only that, we're not really trying to figure out where the puck is going. And so, so I, I think that that's part of the problem with, with kind of the status quo is, is that we, we kind of act as if technology will remain the same, industry will remain the same, our demographics will remain the same, our social needs will remain the same. Uh, and and, and that's, that's just probably not going to be the case. That makes a lot of sense. And when you talk about, you know, our immigration policy needing to be more forward, 
you know, forward looking, um, it's hard not to look back and, and, and feel that the greatest uh, influence on Canadian immigration policy um, is, at least when it comes to the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, has been CBC Go Public. Yes, and, yeah. And uh, when you think about the public shaming exercises that have resulted in the creation of immigration policy mm-hmm. um, with, you know, very little consultation as to whether or not the, you know, the articles that are being produced and the stories actually are reflective of a greater problem than the the narrow, you know, case study that's pulled out just because it really goes viral in the news. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this temporary foreign worker program review. It'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see what our, our new minister does. And uh, ultimately, yeah, they're, they're, we could be looking at a whole new world um, of, uh, of, you know, within the temporary foreign worker program. And for us immigration lawyers, that's the one constant that we have experienced over the last few years is change. Yes. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been quite, yeah, quite an interesting experience, that's for sure. Well, um, thanks so much, Russ. I really, really appreciate all of your comments. And um, before we go, are there any last kind of parting thoughts that you'd like to leave that uh, have been kind of mulling around in your mind that you you wanted to to share with the listeners on this topic? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Um, I I wanted to commend you for for having this podcast. I think it's a tremendous resource for, for the legal community, the immigration practitioners here in Canada. And it's also an excellent resource for uh, people who would be immigrants, people who want to come to Canada and they don't know how to navigate the system. There's there's not really anything like this in the podcast space that I'm aware of. And so I think you're doing an excellent job. It's a wonderful service. And, and please, please keep doing that. Well, I, I appreciate that, Russ. I guess I'm, I'm trying to skate to the areas where the puck is going <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to staying, you know, or, or getting there a little bit late in the game. So the reality is the, su- the success of the podcast um, is a direct proportion to who I have on as guests. And so people can only listen to me drither on for so long. And uh, you just need to have new perspectives and new thoughts and new ideas. And because our, our immigration bar is so collegial and we're so willing to share our knowledge and experience, um, it makes it really easy to do something like this. And so it's just a pleasure for me to, to even, uh, you know, be the, be the guy kind of pushing the, sh- uh, steering the ship forward, I guess. All right. Well, Russ, you've shared a lot of, you know, wonderful tips and insights. And uh, I know that there's going to be people who are saying, hey, you know, I need to to actually bring in a foreign worker um, and it's a low wage position, but this whole area, like you've indicated is, is like some kind of a Lord of the Rings quest. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest in your initial analogy that you used Russ, um, many times the valiant and true and faithful, um, you know, uh, uh, adventure uh, gets a sword rammed through their, <laughs> through That's their, true. through yes. their chest, yes. even when they've done everything right with that program. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have tried and, and, and been refused and are looking for somewhere to turn just for some extra help, especially, you know, companies in, in Calgary and, and other, other companies in Alberta. So if they say, Hey, I want to, I want to hire that Russ guy. He sounds mm-hmm. like he knows what he's talking about. How can, how can our listeners reach you? 
the best way is probably my website, calgaryimmigrationlawyer.com. And I should mention I've, I've got a free immigration newsletter that you can subscribe to off of the website as well. So if you want to get some information news in your inbox from time to time, just, just sign up for that. And, and by all means, uh, check out my website, calgaryimmigrationlawyer.com. Awesome. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well as uh, references to some of the other uh, topics and material, the newspaper article, uh, the uh, recent announcement from the uh, from our Minister Mihaychuk <clears throat> on the uh, the temporary suspension of the of the ten percent cap. I'll, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes for this podcast. But thanks so much, Russ. I really appreciate you coming on, and you have a wonderful summer, my friend. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. I, I'll. I'd be happy to have you on my podcast once I get it off the ground as well. And if you ever need me back, I'd be happy to come back. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Well, all I can say is that that was a lot of fun. It was really nice to to spend some time with Russ uh, talking about the challenges of the temporary foreign worker program. It's so polarizing. It really is. There are people out there that, think there should be no room whatsoever for any temporary foreign workers in Canada with with job, you know, with a shortage of jobs, with higher rates of unemployment, there should be no need. There should be plenty of Canadians to fill these positions or we should improve our education system to allow individuals to better qualify for these jobs. But then you've got the other individuals that very clearly point out the fact that Canadians don't want to work in some of these areas whether it's meat processing, whether it's even full-time positions at, at some of our fast food franchises, ultimately, there is going to be a need for these low-wage or low-skill foreign workers. It's just a matter of figuring out the best way of doing it. So it'll be really interesting to see in September, and I'm definitely going to have a podcast on this, what the Liberals decide to do with the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. Now, I have written a series of four blogs and, and threw out uh, my ideas uh, on what I think should happen with the Temporary Foreign Worker Program and why. But I also spent a lot of time explaining the history, how we arrived at why you know at where we are right now. And so I'd encourage you to go back and, and uh, review those blogs that are posted on the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. But ultimately, um, and I guess in, in closing off this episode, I want to express appreciation once again to all of you, all of the listeners who faithfully uh, download the episodes, who go to iTunes, who leave reviews. Um, those make a difference because it's hard to get noticed in this extremely noisy world. And when you're trying to do something that doesn't have you know, hundreds of thousands of marketing dollars behind it, it's hard to get noticed. So if there's anything within this podcast that you find of value and of interest, please share it. Uh, share it with those that you think might be interested in it. And also, comment, offer suggestions and ideas for improving it. But anyways, thank you so much for listening in. And I've got a fantastic lineup of even more great guests that I will be releasing in the coming weeks. So this is Mark Holthy, the host of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, signing off and wishing you all the best in your efforts to navigate this crazy, insane world of Canadian immigration, law, policy, and practice. 
Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Canadian Immigration Park